During the first season of Where There's Smoke, listeners would often make suggestions or requests for future topics. One of the most frequent topic requests was for an episode on, wait for it, procrastination. The thing about procrastination is that after a while, it starts to sound like a lupus diagnosis on the TV show House. Lupus could cause lung scarring and a rash. It's lupus-induced kidney failure for lupus nephritis. It's lupus. 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 A catch-all, go-to idea for why something is happening or not happening. But when you dig deeper, you realize that procrastination is not a diagnosis in and of itself. Lupus is a bad diagnosis. It's not lupus. Procrastination is a symptom of some other malady or ailment, and any good doctor would tell you that if you want to get better, you've got to treat the disease, not the symptoms. And maybe that's why it comes up so often. Everyone experiences procrastination, and they just want to know how to move forward, how to overcome it, how to just do that thing they've been putting off. But that's not the whole picture. You know this. We know this. So since we all know this, Nick and I decided to dig into procrastination and make it our first episode for season two. We also thought it would be funny. You know, we could, we could make some joke about how it wasn't really a break. It just, uh, just uh, took us eight weeks to, to get around to finally making this episode. But as time passed, <laughs> the idea became less and less funny and more, well, prophetic. I don't want to be overly negative, Brett. We we actually did take some time off. It wasn't just procrastinating all this time that we were exhausted after 29 episodes and we took a couple of weeks off to regroup and just take a break. No, definitely, Nick. I mean, people ask me why we stopped at 29. It's such a weird number. I mean, we, we literally stopped because we were working on episode 30 and we were just done. So, yes. yes, we took a couple weeks off and chilled. And then actually we were, you know, we were working. We I did a bunch of interviews that are going to be in future shows. You talked to people about a future music show we have going on. I was doing research and we took a, a extreme amount of time to figure out our Twitter and Instagram handles. <laughs> yes. um, so we were, you know, we were busy. We were doing stuff, but uh, what I was not doing was writing a show. Yeah, and I was over here and we we would talk and I'd be like, how's the show? And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm so close. I'm gonna, gonna start. It kept happening and we kept pushing the date back and I, it was okay, but I, I kept wondering what was happening over there. Yeah, and, and again, it wasn't like I was just doing nothing. I was trying, quote unquote, to write the show and I was just having a hard time. And the longer time went, the more I started to actually literally feel like I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, oh my God, maybe I've lost it. Maybe I don't have the ability to, act. and I told you that. I was like, I feel, I know this is ridiculous, but I feel like I've lost it. And But then we announced the return date and, and that was key, I think. And things started to, you know, kind of move faster. Did they, Brett? <laughs> <laughs> Did they actually go faster? Let's go to the tape of you on the Todd Shapiro show. So the next, I know, I'm pretty sure the first episode, funny enough, that we're going to come back with, the cop, the topic's going to be procrastination, uh, which is great because we're coming back in like three weeks and I still haven't written that show. That's so funny. So, <laughs> I love it. So that's, yeah. that's perfect. All right. So busted. <laughs> but I was, my thoughts were going faster, Nick. I was thinking a lot more about what we mm. had to do. So what happened? Why do we put things off, avoid them? Well, if procrastination is just a symptom of something larger, then we need to figure out the source. And I'm not kidding. If we can't figure this out, then there is no season premiere episode about procrastination because we'll never get it done. In the process of crafting a show on procrastination, 
we'd become stuck, paralyzed, rusty from just taking a few weeks off, crippled by the pressure of doing this episode right and having no idea where to start. So if you are one of our listeners who has been anxiously awaiting season two, right now, we truly are all in this together. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we take a journey through procrastination in an attempt to not only uncover its causes and possible solutions, but to ensure the completion of this very episode. We talk to author and blogger Mark Manson and introduce a new segment called WTS Digs. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. Procrastination. Its victims run the gamut from huge and important to minor and relatively inconsequential. And when I speak of these victims, I speak not of people. I'm talking about the real victims of procrastination. The tasks, goals, and achievements that get pushed off. Sometimes it's mundane things like, of course, I'm going to clean the house this weekend. And then you don't. Or, I am definitely emailing my mom back tonight. And then Netflix gets in the way, and you don't. Other times, it's major projects or actions like, yes, I'm going to finish my presentation and rehearse it tonight. Or this is the year I get in shape, write that book, start that company, decorate my home. And a year later, there's no book, no company, same old home, same old shape. Over the years, there have been countless articles, talks, presentations, and listicles on overcoming procrastination. No matter the medium, many of them include theories on causes behind our desire to wait and do it tomorrow. Why do we procrastinate? Reasons include feeling overwhelmed, a desire to control, perfectionism, poor time estimation, laziness, no self-control, skill deficits, a lack of interest, a lack of motivation, rebellion, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Sorry, we're so sorry about the gratuitous use of Journey here in our season premiere. We just couldn't help ourselves. What everyone seems to agree on is that whatever the issue, it has almost nothing to do with time. Here is Joseph Ferrari, professor of psychology at DePaul University and renowned researcher on the subject of procrastination. We don't manage time. We manage ourselves. We manage our lives. There are 24 hours a day, not more, not less. And it's what do we do with those 24 hours, those seven days a week, those 365 days a year. Which leads us to a good question. What have I been doing with those hours? Well, I do like the classic productive procrastination. You know, that's the one where I clean my office instead of writing a script so I can feel like, even though I'm not doing what needs to be done, I'm doing something of worth. So, you know, I've been busy. I don't feel like I've been slacking, but based on this blank page, I haven't been writing either. I have been reading, though. Research, another great friend of a writer's productive procrastination. And I came across something that resonates with a lot of what I've been feeling these past few weeks. Listen to this from an article by Derek Thompson in The Atlantic. We delay action because we feel we're in the wrong mood to complete a task. And we assume that our mood will change 
in the near future. Yes, I can so relate to that, especially when it comes to something creative that will require me to be on or in the zone. Okay, so give us some examples, Brett. Sure. I mean, the, the same article actually gives some great ones. You know, if I, if I take a nap now, I'll have more focus later. Mm. Or if I eat this cake now, that'll be my cheat for the month, and then I'll have more willpower to eat better. <laughs> that's, that's my life. Yeah, yeah. Or well, here's my favorite, Nick. If I send a few tweets now, my fingers will be used to typing sentences, which will make this article easier to write. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So something like, if I just play three more rounds of Mario Kart, I'll be properly amped up to edit the procrastination episode of Where There's Smoke. Yeah, got it. yeah, you got it. All right, cool, cool, cool. No, no, Nick, 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 I did, it was just an example. Nick, come back, Nick. Nick, we have to finish the episode. All right, go ahead, Brett. I'll be right back after I know I finish this. It'll be great. It's going to be fine. Uh, um, okay. Um, now, this mood strategy isn't merely self-defeating. It is self-fulfilling in that it creates what Derek Thompson calls the procrastination doom loop. Um, Nick? Nick, you want to uh, you want to come back here and... Uh, Add in an ominous sound effect or something? Ah, fine. Fine. Hold on. <sighs> Alright, I'm here. Okay, just say the last part again. The procrastination doom loop. Ah, nice. Thanks, Nick. You see, the decision to delay often brings with it feelings of guilt, shame, or anxiety. We tell ourselves, I'll do it later. And then we beat ourselves up. We think, ugh, I'm so lazy, unproductive, undisciplined. And as all that creeps in, we think, man, I should really think about doing this task now and not putting it off. But of course, with all this anxiety, guilt, and shame, I mean, I'm not in the mood to do it now. So I guess I'll just wait and, and do it later. Which of course produces more guilt, shame, and anxiety, which makes us even less productive. And around and around we go. I'm so lazy unproductive, undisciplined. Now, back to the dilemma with this show. While I'm not feeling much guilt or shame at the moment, anxiety is creeping in, and I, and I am getting dizzy. So I guess we should probably just skip worrying about the cause of procrastination and try to figure out how to combat it. Fortunately, one of my favorite writers and thinkers just recently tackled this very topic in a piece called Everything you want to know about procrastination, but we're too lazy to figure out. So my name is Mark Manson. I'm a professional author and blogger. I write about psychology, culture, um, a lot of personal development stuff. In this article, Mark talks about some typical ways to beat procrastination. One of them being something I have done successfully many times in the past, and I also think it counteracts the doom loop we just talked about. I, I call it the do something principle because I just think of it in terms of like, damn it, do something, anything. Like it doesn't matter what, just start doing something. And because th the reason this works is people perceive action to come from motivation. So it's like, I'm only going to, to sit down and write an article once I'm motivated to sit down and write an article. But the way human psychology works is that motivation is also an effect of action as well. So 
what actually happens in reality is that if I sit down and force myself to start writing, say, one or two sentences, just the, the act of writing those one or two sentences will motivate me to continue writing. And Mark goes on to say that it can be used in all sorts of contexts, from schoolwork to work projects. One example he gives is people who procrastinate going to the gym. So they start by just putting their gym clothes on. And once they're in their workout clothes, they feel stupid if they don't go for a run or do a push-up or something. And so it feels much easier to take that next step. And this reminded me of my experiences when I started doing yoga. Someone once said to me that 90% of success in yoga is just getting on the mat, getting to the class. And that was so true for me. I rarely wanted to go. But if I could just get there, then I was like, well, I'm here. I guess I should do it. And then afterwards, I felt so good. I had this emotional experience that fed back into my desire to do yoga, and it made me want to go next time. As Mark stated, our motivation is fed by our results. Tony Robbins shared an idea similar to this when he suggested that anytime we want to do anything, we have a belief in the potential of that thing or ourselves. The more potential we see, the more action we will take. Once we take that action, we get a result, and that result, positive or negative, feeds right back into our belief and the potential we see. Now that may sound more complicated than it is. Let's take our yoga example again. I don't wanna go to yoga. Sure, people tell me it'll make me feel better, but I don't have a personal experience. So my belief in its potential to help me is low. The inconvenience and perceived pain in the butt of going outweighs any potential benefits. So I don't. The action I take is inaction to not go, which in turn keeps my belief where it is, leaves me unmotivated, and possibly thrusts me into the procrastination doom loop. But... If I muster up enough willpower to take some action, to just get there, I end up taking the class. And then the result I get is I feel great. And that feeds into my belief and the potential I see to feel like this consistently, to be healthy, strong, energized. And so I want to go again. Two days later, feeding off that belief and potential, I take the action of going to another class. Again, I feel great afterwards, and that feeds into my belief, which increases even more, and around and around we go. Only this time, the spiral is a climb, not a fall. I feel great, I wanna go again. Okay, so I'm glad that we're getting somewhere that's sounding more like a Where There's Smoke episode. But I gotta say, Brett, if all we're saying is that getting over procrastination is just about doing it, and that's it, that's not particularly gratifying, nor is it very Where There's Smoky. So for us to go through all of this and just say, hey, procrastinate later, or hey, stop procrastinating, that's just putting a Band-Aid on everything. The procrastination, after all, is just a symptom of something larger. So the important question we need to try and answer is, what is the cause of procrastination? How do we find the root problem and then address it? Well, keep in mind, the root causes are infinite. When you blend the do something principle with this idea of building your belief in a potential, there is a possibility of shifting the emotional cause of the problem, which while it may be a band-aid, 
It still works, so it's still valuable. However, I mostly agree with you, Nick. We're still on the surface, especially as we get past procrastination rooted in some mild displeasure, and we get into situations where it is debilitating, life-altering, and self-sabotaging. And this is where I actually went from liking to loving Mark Manson's article. He delves into this question of what causes procrastination and suggests something interesting, something he calls Manson's Law of Avoidance. I want to sound smart too, so <laughs> I'll just, uh, I'll name a law after myself. So the Manson's Law of Avoidance basically states that the more something potentially affects your identity or how you see yourself, what you believe about yourself, um, the more you will avoid it. And the big kind of powerful takeaway from this is that it's not just the bad stuff. So we might avoid, say, say we're in a bad relationship and we want to break up and we might avoid or put off ending that relationship for months, maybe even years, just because it, it's so intimidating and it's extremely painful. And what Manson's Law says is that the reason we do that isn't just because of the pain, but it, because it, it changes, it forces us to reevaluate our perception of ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about our own life, and what we're meant to be doing. Um, but it also works in reverse. People often self-sabotage themselves out of very big opportunities and potential successes for the exact same reason. They don't take a huge job opportunity because deep down they don't perceive themselves to be a, a highly successful person or they don't take the chance and, you know, move overseas because they, they can't imagine themselves uh, not living in their hometown. It just, it threatens their identity way too much. And so even though it might be a, a better life decision or, or lead to a better result, they avoid doing it for the exact same reason. This really struck me because maybe for the first time ever, I heard something that made fear of success make sense. <laughs> because honestly, whenever someone said, oh, she's afraid of success, I, I couldn't really rationalize why anyone would fear success. But Mark's words resonated, and I found myself blending them with another concept around our subconscious desire to hold on to comfort. Here is Coach Rob Scott speaking about that idea on the Escape Velocity podcast. Well, it's not pain versus pleasure as a motivation for human beings in the same way that we think. On the subconscious level, it's pain versus the familiar. We will try to avoid pain, but we will move toward the familiar because that's safe. See, your brain will avoid things you actually want in order to hold on to the comfort it has, even when that comfort ain't that comfortable. Well, yeah, it's the classic, the devil you know over the devil you don't. It is. And as Mark stated to me in our conversation, there is an inherent conservatism in our brain to hold on to whatever beliefs we already have. As we see and experience the world through these beliefs, we will generally default to interpreting everything that happens in such a way that supports them. Otherwise said, we want to be right. If somebody comes from a background, you know, say somebody has like a particularly rough upbringing or experiences like a major trauma or something really bad happens to them and their self-esteem gets kicked out and they, they kind of take on this belief of like, 
uh, I'm a loser, I'm, I'm the type of person that like nothing good happens to me, then they will actually actively perceive everything in their life to reinforce that. So any, any sort of like great opportunity that comes along, they'll talk themselves out of it. Anybody who comes along who genuinely, you know, shows them love and affection, they'll convince themselves, you know, to, to not trust it or to sabotage it in some way. Um, and it's, it's this constant need to reinforce these beliefs in oneself. So while I can definitely see how that could be true for some people, I'm not sure if that's entirely what's going on with me, Brett, at least, you know, not at some immediate level. So for me, while I'm actively procrastinating, if I close my eyes and ask myself, you know, why are you procrastinating, Nick? Nine times out of 10, the answer is clear. It's because I'm afraid. And more specifically, I'm afraid of failure. And I think that in many cases, that is the case in Manson's Law of Avoidance too. As Mark wrote in his article, the kid doesn't study because she believes herself to be a rebel and a loner. The man doesn't leave his hometown because he secretly believes he's not good enough to be successful anywhere else. The woman never sits down to write the book because ironically, the possibility of failure would threaten her belief that she's smart and capable of anything. It is almost as if we create this confidence based on what we tell ourselves we are capable of instead of what we have actually done. And this confidence, albeit false, becomes a source of strength or even survival and we don't want to lose it. And I've been in that exact spot many times. Sometimes I've done nothing and other times I've taken the leap. Sometimes it worked out and other times I failed. The thing I've come to understand is that even the experience of failing is much better than a life permeated with the feeling of what if. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. As I've said in this show before, it's just information. And it's information we don't get if we are stopped by fear. If we hold on to this identity we've often become so attached to, this idea of who we could be rather than who we are. Now here's the thing. When this is the challenge that we're afraid if we do something, it won't be as great as we think, aka we won't be as great, well, then the common coaching is that you have to believe in yourself. You know, you have to start doing affirmations and surround yourself with people that will tell you just how amazing and special you are. Jeff, do you know what you are? You're special. You're very special, Jeff. You're the most special little boy in the world. But what Mark points out in his article is that that approach is actually counterproductive. Because the more I convince myself that I would be the next Bono or that the first episode of our second season will be the greatest podcast episode ever produced, the potential for failure becomes that much bigger and that much more debilitating. Yeah, it, what, what you're essentially doing is you're upping the stakes. So I could sit here all day and tell myself, oh, I'm going to be the next David Foster Wallace. Oh, I'm, people are going to write about they're going to study my books a hundred years from now. Like that might make me feel good right now. Um, it might make me feel good today for like 
a few minutes or a few hours. It might, it might even get me to overcome some writer's block and like to write a few kick-ass pages. But in the long run, if I seriously start adopting those beliefs, um, other than making me a really annoying jackass, it will be essentially what it does is it raises the stakes to such a high level that it, it becomes terrifying to approach it. So what is the solution then? Well, what Mark proposes is to kill yourself, figuratively, of course, to kill or let go of the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And that in this ambiguity, we can embrace what he says is both the good news and the bad news. There's very little that is special about you or your problems. I finished the article by, by telling people to make their identities as small as possible. When you take on as an identity that, say, I'm a genius prodigy actor who's going to change the world, basically you narrow the possibilities that will make you happy down to like such a small, small, small amount of experiences um, that it's going to generate all this anxiety and this this fear and this pain when that doesn't come true. Whereas if you just kind of take on a very bland and general identity of, hey, I'm just a guy and I like to act sometimes, that opens yourself up to so many possibilities and, and potential experiences that you actually, you, you very much liberate yourself to pursue acting and whatever, whatever else may come up without any sort of hesitation or doubts in yourself. And so you get this weird kind of paradoxical thing where, you know, everybody, like you said, everybody's always telling you, like, believe in yourself and yeah, you're great. You should know that, tell yourself that you're great, know that you're great all the time. And actually, you know, what is truly freeing and liberating is just understanding that, you know, you're, you're just a person trying to get on in the world, trying to, trying to write a little bit, trying to act a little bit, you know, trying to make a little bit of music. And, you might sell a million albums, you might sell a hundred albums. It shouldn't really change what your experience of music is. Jeff, you're a normal person. There's nothing very special about you at all. You're going to be great at a few things, but really crappy at many more. And that takes a lot of the pressure off, so you can live a full, happy life. You know, Brett, this is interesting to me because I'm a big fan of the phrase, you're not that special. And it's not just you, it's me, it's everybody. Like, we all have to go through things. I don't get to avoid struggle or strife just because I happen to like myself a lot or because I happen to like you a lot. It's just this reminder that we all go through these things and that if you can do it, I can do it. And we, we can all do this. And not only can we do it, Nick, but it's not worth dwelling on or agonizing over. It's important to note that what we are talking about here is relevant both in the positive and the negative, meaning it's not only about times that we are saying we are going to be the next great thing, but also when we are magnifying our setbacks and saying things like, man, I have the worst luck. I am such a horrible failure. I never do anything right. That is just as false. You are just someone who's hit an obstacle, who's made a mistake, who's feeling down right now. That's all. Nothing special about it. Okay, so wait a minute, Brett. We're almost at the end of the show. Yeah. Well, at one point, there was a risk that the show would never get finished. You said that you needed to cure your own procrastination or, or we'd never get this show done. So this means you're cured, right? Well, 
Not exactly. I think through experiences, I've come to understand a lot of these concepts discussed, and I've found ways to emotionally push through. At some point, you have to just do it and realize that there will always be some discomfort or pain, whether that is the pain of regret or loss in not doing it, or the potential pain of failure in doing it. So you pick your pain. And for us, I realized we just needed a bigger pain to overshadow the one in our way. In the end, the main reason this script got written, the reason that you, our listener, is listening to this show right now is because we announced our new season. We set a deadline, and then in our minds, we had no choice. We called in a higher value, a value that trumps all the fear and all the stories. We gave our word to you that we would release a show on October 13th, and our word to each other that we would get it done. And through that, a greater pain was created, the pain of letting each other down, the pain of imagining how our listeners would feel if October 13th came and there was no show, and the pain of what that could mean to the entire future of the show, the impact that would have on all the goodwill, trust, and care we have created with our audience. And with that, we knew we'd finish. Then it was just how. So a couple of weeks ago, I started with the do something principle. I took my laptop down to Milton's on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and started typing. At first it felt clunky and I thought it wasn't good, but I kept typing. And then I wrote one sentence I liked and it gave me the belief and desire to write 20 more. That got me started. And then I reached out to Nick and we began crafting the episode together. As we did, we started to feel more and more of that confidence and belief we had just a couple of months ago. The confidence that we can do this. We started to let go of stories and expectations. We embraced that we are just two guys making the best show we know how to make. And this episode, well, it'll just be another episode. And maybe it will be one we always love, or maybe it will be forgotten. But I'd much rather have it be something that is loved or forgotten than something that is not there for our listeners on the morning of Tuesday, October 13th. So you see, Nick, there is no single cure for procrastination. It's more of a cocktail. And that cocktail is always going to be different depending on the person and the root causes. You got to try different approaches and see what diagnosis works. If you move, you got it right. If you stay stuck, scrap that approach and try something new. Autoimmune diseases can make antibodies go haywire, but still. It's happened. Apparently it's happened again. I finally had a case of lupus. Huh. Well, will you look at that? Maybe it is just like an episode of House after all. Wait, so Brett, is, is that it? Is this the end of the show? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're still going to do some quick other things after this, but pretty much. We did it! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yes, we did. Who, Nick, who, Nick, who are all these people? Don't worry about it. Hey, uh, so where are we on next week's show? Hey, man, come on, let's just, let's just enjoy this. I mean, we'll get to that, you know, uh, when we're in the right mood. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> hey. Welcome back, Brett. Welcome back, Nick. When you want it the most, there's no easy way.
Hey everybody, this is Nick. And this is Brett. Welcome to season two. We've missed you so much. We're so glad to be back making new episodes. And one of the new things we're trying out this time is a new segment that we're calling WTS Digs. Basically, we like a lot of stuff, you know, music and movies and TV shows and just books. And we wanted a space we could share some of those with you and because we love you. So here we go. Uh, Brett, what are you digging this week? Well, I'm digging two albums that actually involve four artists. So <laughs> I know. So the first one is Ryan Adams uh, did a full album cover of Taylor Swift's 1989. I'm a huge Ryan Adams fan. I, I think Taylor is a great songwriter, and it's just awesome mm-hmm. to hear those songs done through the lens of Ryan Adams. So that that one is great. I listened to it five times straight when I first got it. Wow. And the second is an album called Yeezer, which is actually a mashup album <laughs> of Kanye West songs and Weezer songs. Now, I don't know why that works, Nick, but I know it works because it is on a scale of one to ten from entertainment value. It's an 11 done by a guy named Alex Hadawanek. His remix moniker is Chucky Nugget, which is also kind of cool. And uh, I just think it's it's just great. So Ryan Adams 1989 and the Yeezer album are my two things I'm digging. What about you, Nick? Well, this week I'm digging a documentary series on YouTube called Double Fine Adventure. Basically, it is a 20-part series that covers the development of a game uh, developed by Tim Schafer, who did the Monkey Island series, who did Grim Fandango, and they go from this Kickstarter all the way to publication. They do characters, they do music, they do color, they're doing lighting, they're doing shadows. And uh, Brett, you know I love process, and it just really gets in there. It's great to see people at the top of their creative game making things. So Double Fine Adventure on YouTube, it's in 20 parts. And uh, if you want to play the game they make, it's called Broken Age, and you can uh, download that now. If you're digging something and you want to share it with us or share it with our audience, please do, because we're always uh, interested in hearing about great new things. All right. Thanks. Hey, everyone. So some breaking, exciting news that Nick and I have to share with you. Uh, Where There's Smoke is going to be syndicated. Woo! Right? Yeah. So we're actually going to be on the radio in Vancouver, a new radio station launching called Roadhouse Radio 98.3. Very cool commercial station focusing on local content, storytelling, intelligent discussions, very NPR, kind of CBC radio-esque, really cool stuff. And uh, their programming director called us because we are her favorite podcast, Nick. And uh, so we're going to be on every Tuesday night uh, between 7 and 8 p.m. Pacific time. You're actually going to be able to get it online and stream it as well. Not only are they going to play an episode of Where There's Smoke, but Nick or I or both of us will be on the show every week just talking about some background kind of behind the scenes stuff of each episode. It's like storytellers. Um, It's like storytellers. (laughs) Very, very cool. And if you live in Vancouver, Tuesday, October 27th, we are having a special event that night linked to this new relationship between Roadhouse Radio and Where There's Smoke. I can't announce any specific details yet, but just hold Tuesday, October 27th. Make sure you're on our mailing list. Pay attention to Twitter. Pay attention to Facebook, and we'll give you more details. We're so excited to be on the radio in Canada. And uh, if you're a new listener or you're an old listener, old meaning you've heard us before, not old in age, of course, one of the best ways you can help support the show is to go to iTunes Give us a rating and leave a review. And we've got a lot of things like sort of cooking right now, um, some publicity, some promotion. And if we could just get a handful of our listeners to go over there and just leave their thoughts, that would be so fantastic. We would appreciate it so much and it would make a huge difference. It definitely would, Nick. And sometimes I just think, I mean, imagine if just 10% of our listeners who haven't yet just left us a rating and review. I mean, we would just skyrocket up the charts. So 
be great to see our logo up there. It'd be great to get more listeners, spread the word. And again, if you're out in Vancouver, um, you know, keep that date open, Tuesday, October 27th. And Roadhouse Radio will be live next week, and you'll also be able to stream that. So lots more information coming down the pipeline and all this stuff. As always, let's start with some shout-outs. We got a few awesome iTunes reviews during our hiatus. Huge thanks to Johnny Gwynn from USA, who summed us up perfectly. This podcast is riveting self-help and motivation without ever sounding douchey or pompous. Kip Clark called the show absolutely phenomenal. Morgan Elizabeth T. said, I can feel myself becoming a better student, friend, daughter, and leader on campus. Gunner365 from Canada noted, Where there's smoke does not take itself too seriously, but it's serious. And Christine Braga shared i'm addicted to this podcast thank you brett and nick for creating this amazing community and for changing my life thanks also to carl pills dance capades roy chumley thorn p from the uk for your kind words and anyone else who gave us a review or shared the show with the world over the past eight weeks find us on twitter at brett Gaida and at podcast monster and the show has its own twitter handle now at explore wts and join our facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash WTS pod to get our upcoming new newsletter and stay in the loop with all things where there's smoke join our mailing list on your phone you can text the word smoke to 66866 or go to our website where there's smoke Co. Where There's Smoke is contemplated, considered, thought about, talked about, committed to, crafted, shaped, written, edited, produced, performed, and delivered by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in having Brett speak, train, or coach at an event or within an organization, start with an email to him, brett at wheretherssmoke.co. And if you're interested in creating a podcast or making your current podcast sound even more awesome, check out Nick's company, Podcast Monster. You can go to podcastmonster.com or send an email to nick at wheretherssmoke.co. Our theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Additional music in this episode, performed by Broke for Free, Happiness in Airplanes, Lee Rosevere, Kai Engel, Jazar, Poddington Bear, John Luke Hefferman, and of course, Kevin McLeod. This week, we talked about how procrastination has very little to do with time. Well, next week, time is taking center stage, and we are going to go on a journey through it. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week. Man, feels good to be saying that again. A clay ashtray. You're an idiot. Why do you have time to make pottery? Couldn't you use a little more practice being a doctor? Not that it'll ever bring your brother back to life. It was supposed to be you on that roller coaster, Richard. It was supposed to be you!